Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 28 of The Right Take. I am Eric Lindrum. I'm Jacob Grandstaff. And we hope you all had an excellent, truly fantastic, and uber-patriotic 4th of July, ladies and gentlemen. I know I sure did. Uh, in case anybody is wondering why my voice sounds a little bit softer and hoarser than it normally does, that is because... I had a great 4th of July yesterday with friends, lots of chanting and screaming and shouting and uh, singing along to John Denver songs. So that was quite wholesome fun, truly the most American way to celebrate the 4th of July, at least in my humble opinion. And yes, it was the 245th birthday of the United States of America, and we are still as unapologetic as ever for loving this country and celebrating it, regardless of the fact that I guess our 4th of July picnic supplies are now 16 cents cheaper, according to... Uh, supposed President Joe Biden. Jacob, how did you enjoy your 4th of July? What did you do? Did I was year? actually flying in from Oregon, well, not Oregon, I, technically Seattle, but I was hoping that I would arrive in at the Reagan Airport in time to catch the metro up to Chinatown to see the fireworks in the National Mall. But unfortunately, the fireworks started, I believe, 9.09. My plane landed at 9.45. But it was it was good to see. It looked like Arlington was being bombarded from the air, I, yeah, although I believe fireworks <laughs> are supposed to be illegal. Um, you know, oh, yeah, so they're that, going off all the time. Right. That is good to see that even in liberal Arlington, even in liberal Arlington, Americans are still willing to defy the law to celebrate July 4th. But it, it was it was quite a sight to behold coming in uh, as the plan landed. But it, it was other than that, it was a, it was a great 4th of July. It truly was. It truly was. And we have another surprise here for you guys today. We, You guys have, according to your feedback, you've loved the last few episodes we did with guests. Episode 25, Tom Pappert, the founder and editor-in-chief of National File. You guys loved that one. Tom was great. Episode 27, Liberty Hangouts, Caitlin Bennett, a.k.a. Kent State Gun Girl. That was a great one. And now Jacob is back in studio. And for the first time ever, we have a third person here in the Right Take Studios in Location Classified. And we are thrilled to have this guy with us. He is doing some great work with the Media Research Center's publication, Newsbusters, specializing in big tech and social media censorship. Alexander Hall. Alex, welcome to The Right Take. Thanks. It's great to be here. So this was we timed this so perfectly, Jacob. We, we planned this episode a couple weeks in advance and not knowing that this last week would be amazing for big tech, social media, censorship, bias, Google, Facebook, all that fun stuff, especially over the course of the last few days. Facebook, the new social media alternative launched by the Trump team, Getter, a big blow to the antitrust efforts against big tech. We're going to be talking about all of that here on The Right Take with Alex Hall. Alex, why don't you start off by introducing yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about you and what you do at Newsbusters. So I've been a staff writer for Newsbusters for about the past three years. And recently, within the last year, I launched my show Tech Shark, which is specifically about how the conservative movement is not just complaining about big tech, but actually working to solve the problem of big tech censorship. And so I bring in all manner of people, and whether different parts of the conservative movement or different influencers, and I try to interview them and talk about how we're actually going to solve this. All right. And that is, of course, a super important topic. Like we said, it's been said that in the immediate aftermath of 2020, of course, big tech censorship is going to be one of the absolute biggest problems going into the 2024 election, right alongside voter fraud and I would say also alongside critical race theory. So we have a lot to talk about. And of course, Alex, you are at the front lines of this over with Newsbusters, and you have written a few great articles over the last few days. So let's just start with, I think, the funniest thing to happen from, with big tech in a long time. 
Friday morning, I don't know if you saw this, Jacob, while you were away on the West Coast. Friday morning, I guess Facebook just decided to really kick it up a notch with the Orwellian rhetoric. And oh, yes. Everybody, all my friends, everyone was sharing pictures and screenshots and the messages that we were all getting this pop-up. It wasn't a regular notification that would show up like in your, in your notifications tab. It was an immediate pop-up, boom. As soon as you open the app, immediately you would see a warning. And I think I have the screenshots here because there were two different versions floating about. Uh, I got, I think, the more popular version, which said, <laughs> oh, goodness. Eric, you may have been exposed to harmful extremist content recently. Violent groups try to manipulate your anger and disappointment. You can take action now to protect yourself and others. And it goes on and on and on. Alex, you wrote an article about this. Tell us more about this truly Orwellian joke that Facebook pulled on all of us on Friday. Yeah, so people have been getting these updates. And it's so silly just to consider what Facebook actually is considering to be extremist content. And people all across um, the conservative spectrum are getting these. Very normal people. And... People have responded by hilariously mocking Facebook for sending all of these notifications. Like I know that Virginia House delegate Nick Freitas the other day said, quote, Yes, actually, I have a real concern that some leftist technocrats are creating an Orwellian environment where people are being arbitrarily silenced or banned for saying something the thought police don't like or doesn't like. And I think that's quite a good assessment as far as just like what was normal only a few years ago, as far as conservative sentiment, is considered extreme now. I mean, the Overton window is such a great way of framing the entire problem. So we got to wonder, like, what exactly is Facebook's internal idea of extremism these days? And so, yeah, I mean, when you see them increasingly targeting, you know, like satire and saying, well, it's not okay to make that kind of joke. That's beyond the pale, but we're okay with satire. Just not conservative satire. So, so many things, they have this black box of they say, here's what we're going to take action on and it's yeah it's just absurd it really is absurd and i remember reading i i i got this notification pop up like seven eight nine times and i would close it every single time i wasn't going to bother because it gives you options it says either option two close which i did or option one get support from experts spot the signs understand the dangers of extremism and hear from people who escaped violent groups i'm like what so they, they fled for their lives like refugees from communist countries out of uh, right-wing pro-trump meme groups like it's just it's absolutely absurd but then uh, friends of mine sent me screenshots of if you click on that get support link they list a whole bunch of uh, statistics and facts uh pro provided primarily by a group called uh, Life After Hate, which is another one of those far-left groups that basically works to, quote, rehabilitate former extremists, which, I mean, that make of that wording what you will. I guess to reintroduce Trump supporters back to civilized society is kind of the idea behind that. <laughs> exactly. And, and they throw out so many absurd claims that, uh, reading through these, I had to do a double take and a triple take, and I'm just like, oh, this has got to be a joke. One of them, it's a list of bullet points. One of them says... Did you know that immigration is linked to decreases in violent crime over the last 50 years? I'm just like, okay, all right. That's like saying that an increase of rain leads to a decrease of wetness. Like, you have to be actually retarded to believe that. That is one of the, that's the stupidest things 
I have ever heard. Being from California, and Alex, you're from California too as well, right? I am, yeah. So we know a thing or two about immigration. So Life After Hate, you have no idea what you're talking about in your think tank headquarters in D.C. or wherever you are. You guys can kindly screw off, please. We don't want to hear any of this blatant lies. It's a blatant lie, but I digress. Well, what's concerning to me about this is it's almost like this is a test tube that social media is using for the broader society once they finally gain control. They're privately messaging individuals that they feel have connections to people who have been exposed to right-wing think, and then they're trying to get those individuals to rat those people out, basically to report them to the thought police. Yeah, so is there going to be like a kind of contact tracing? So they're going to treat conservative ideas, could they someday treat conservative ideas as a sort of like new plague, more or less, a pandemic of conservative thought? Mm -hmm. That's something which is a possibility that would be, you know, quite the Orwellian scenario. Absolutely it is. And it, of course, lends itself to the uh, the greater argument, which has been made before, that as big tech gets worse and worse, and they are getting worse and worse, it got, I mean, when they banned Trump, I knew, oh, this is about to hit a whole new level. Within a year, they went from banning Alex Jones to banning the president of the United States while he was still in office. So then the question that presents itself, of course, is... Do we create conservative alternatives? Some people derogatorily refer to them as conservative ghettos because, oh, it's a really crappy alternative. But some of them do work. You know, we here at The Right Take, of course, are very active on Gab, Minds, BitChute, Telegram, Rumble. Uh, And Alex, you wrote another article on this on one person who really is leading the charge to establish these great conservative alternatives. And uh, tell us a little bit about that and the latest efforts by a Mr. Dan Bongino. Yeah, so Dan Bongino is a great conservative commentator, and he launched a payment processor so Americans won't have to worry about PayPal or other woke corporations blacklisting them. And I think this is such a great step in the right direction, because for me personally, I support new platforms, but I also believe that conservatives need to stay on mainstream platforms as well. That's my personal opinion, because I think conservatives need to make sure that they are able to influence the next generation. And also, one thing that makes Twitter so fun is the fact that we could see liberals say absurd ideas, and then they could get dunked on and ratioed by a bunch of conservatives. And you don't really get to see that on alternative sites. So I respect alternative sites as a sort of like home base where conservatives can sort of share their ideas and discuss amongst themselves. But I also really think that we need to make sure we stay on these mainstream platforms. So what Bongino did with this, which I really respect, is that payment processors are something which you really do need to have handled internally. Because if a payment processor is handled by somebody who dislikes you, they can more or less cut away your livelihood at the drop of a hat. So hypothetically, let's say that you have a great conservative YouTuber who has ideas that are really sort of reaching young people. They're converting the uh, persuadables in the center. And let's say YouTube doesn't like that, and YouTube could demonetize them and make it so that their entire YouTube career is no longer viable as a job. Well, with something like a conservative-owned or conservative-friendly payment processor, they make it so that you can never really have that career taken from you. So long as your videos are being watched by people, you can be supported by your fans through that conservative payment processor. And that is so critical. One problem that actually kind of a way of phrasing the problem for conservatives is that so many of the institutions that rule American life are dominated by the left. So that even if you have power in one institution, all of their other institutions that are dominated by the left can undercut you. Um, The way I actually phrase this is the stonecutter problem. There was a great It's a Chinese parable. 
I'm probably butchering it, but the way it's described is that this guy is working as a stonecutter and he's not a big fan of his life. And he says, I wish I could be that royal official who's passing by. He becomes the royal official and he's like, all right, well, this is better. I'm not having to cut stone all day, but people are carrying me around. The sun is blasting down on me. So he says, I wish I could be the sun. He becomes the sun and it's like, gosh, it's great being able to shine light on things, but all these clouds get in the way. So he becomes a cloud. He can blow stuff around, but then there's this huge stone that he can't move. So he says, all right, become the stone. And then what does he feel? He's being chipped away by stonecutters. It comes full circle. So conservatives need to have their people in all of the institutions every step of the way if they want to be able to be free, to be themselves. Otherwise, they're always going to have to worry about the left pulling the rug out from under them. Absolutely. And payment processors, as you said, are very crucial. I think right alongside the ability to literally pull the plug on servers, like what happened to Parler, or be able to just remove people from the Google search results and the Google AdSense monetization. Right. Payment processors are a huge deal. And you're hearing about, of course, individuals who are being removed from their bank accounts. A former Senate candidate in uh, Delaware, Lauren Witzke, got like just her account with, I think, Wells Fargo mm-hmm. completely shut mm-hmm. down just because she's a Republican, I guess. And it really is scary because, like you said, that is people's livelihood. So it is good for Dan Bongino because especially he, again, he has a very active role in Parler. He has, like, the majority uh, shareholders in Parler, I believe. He's also very active with Rumble, which is one of the major video sharing alternatives, Mm -hmm. and now a payment processor. So I really do think it is good that he's kind of building up. He's the the one I see who's building up the most collective and comprehensive network of alternatives because you have all these other offshoots here and there by various people again gab i think is one of the most successful ones and torba andrew torba there is launching his own series of other things like gab tv and things like that but within the gab umbrella what is the name of uh dan bongino's processor and what is the current uh, what, what stage is it right now so align pay described itself on its website as a, quote, new payment processing solution that's built for freedom and driven by the time-tested American conviction that everyone, no matter their race, religion, gender, or ideology, has the right to pursue happiness and live the American dream. So it's a line pay, and I really have high hopes for it because um, Bongino is a guy who really puts his money where, the, where his mouth is. And I think there's a lot of conservatives who have made entire careers out of complaining about problems, but not actually solving them. Correct. And mm-hmm. so it's always just the solution is just over this hill. We just need to get over it. It's on the next horizon, and we never get there. But guys like Bongino are actually, you know, actually saying, let's try this. Let's see what works. And I really have high hopes for this. This Align Pay, I believe, is going to be a game changer, no doubt about it. Because with, uh, sit- with you had situations with PayPal and Venmo, which, of course, is owned by PayPal, they started out with people who were literal neo-Nazis, and then they started moving more and more, you know, deplatforming people who were mainline conservatives. Patreon so, as well. Yeah, Patreon is another one. So, yeah, this is this is huge. This is something that really should have been created three or four years ago, but I'm, I'm glad that he's on it right now. Exactly. And especially with the facts getting clearer that creating our own institutions and our own alternatives are the only chance, or the only choice we have, really, because this was devastating news when I saw this break. I could not believe this. Uh, I wrote an article for this at American Greatness. June 29th, 2021. A massive blow was dealt to the effort to have Facebook labeled as a monopoly and possibly be broken up as a result. When Judge James Boesberg, an Obama appointee, for the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia, dismissed the two major antitrust lawsuits filed against the big tech giant 
one filed by the Federal Trade Commission and the other filed by like over 30, I think, state attorneys general. It was a very bipartisan group. You had, I think, Letitia James from New York. You had Ken Paxton from Texas. Republicans, Democrats all coming together for this. Monday, boom, Thanos snapped. Judge Boasberg was like, nope, not happening. That's not happening. And he basically said, among other things, uh, the FTC suit did not provide sufficient evidence that Facebook is a monopoly. And he said the attorney general's suit was filed too late after the biggest thing that they pointed to, Facebook's acquisition of WhatsApp, the messaging app, and Instagram, the photo sharing platform. They filed their lawsuit too late after these acquisitions to maintain relevant standing. So there it is again, standing. They love to use standing as an excuse. The Supreme Court used that as an excuse to throw out a lot of the 2020 election cases. It's quite clear the system as it exists now, the judiciary system, and certainly the government with Biden in power, is not going to help us. So I think we have no choice now but to create these alternatives. Ghettos or whatever you want to call them, they're the only choice we have now, I think. Well, that brings me to another question. I was uh, speaking of using it, uh, framing it as ghettos. Uh, the new app Getter that recently was created, I was uh, – what, what is your position on that? How do you, how do you feel about that? It, I think it's like a week old or so. So in my personal capacity, I would need to see more, but I'll phrase it this way. Every alternative social media platform has one major thing that it needs to prove to me. I wish them all the best. I gladly support them. I think it's great that people are starting these. But each has one fundamental thing that it must solve to me. How are you going to get the next generation of people onto your platform? How are you going to bring in young people? Do you have a plan to bring in influencers, whether it is people who are famous on Instagram? Do you have gaming YouTubers and stuff like that? Do you have, what is your plan for getting people who are in high school or college and so forth, who might not even be consciously political? But if we don't make sure that we recruit them, then we pretty much have an audience for those alternative platforms that has an expiration date. That might be 20 or 30 years down the road, but it's still going to come. And really, I need a conservatism that is planning for 50 years in the future as far as like, what is the next generation and the generation after that? How are they going to deal with the consequences of what we've done? And so therefore, I fully support these platforms, but I need to see influencers who can bring in the persuadables and young people. That's what needs to be answered for me. Agreed, 100%, because it's quite clear that some of these platforms that are set up are set up by people who have no idea how tech platforms or social media works, and it's just kind of embarrassing. You see some of these platforms, I'm not going to name names, but some of them that just fall flat and are not, especially when they're built up as like, this is the alternative. When Getter came out, uh, it, it kind of blindsided me because the announcement came so suddenly. It was being billed around as uh, the Trump team's new, like, this is the platform for the Trump team. Because uh, apparently its CEO is Jason Miller, who is a former senior advisor to President Trump. But apparently the president himself is not on the platform. Like, he has no plans to join it anytime soon. So I'm just like, okay, so is this... Uh, even downright to the name Getter, I assume being similar to Twitter, it's kind of a Twitter alternative, I guess. And the logo is like a, a, a torch or something. I downloaded the app. This is something uh, you and I talked about, Jacob. So the if you go to the iTunes, the Apple App Store, it is still there as of the time of this recording. They may remove the app very soon for all we know. I'm going to read the description because this I saw this and let me just read it word for word. I promise you I'm not making any mistakes reading this. Tell me what you hear and how many mistakes you spot. <clears throat> Quote, Getter is a non-bias social network for people all over the world. Getter tried the best 
to provide best software quality to the users, comma, allow anyone to express their opinion freely. Um, I mean, I, I it's not just because I minored in English, but that is kind of broken English. And Jacob, you had a theory about this. Yes, my theory was that they outsourced the software development to foreigners possibly Chinese dissidents, because that seems to be a trend on the right. We see a lot of influence among Chinese dissidents within the right, which um, which I'm, I've said before I'm very much against, because I feel like we're at a position in conservatism to where we don't really have the firepower to focus on other countries and other movements. I mean, I would love to see communist China fall, but we're kind of, if this was the 80s, then certainly we could focus on that. But right now we need to focus on America. We need to get our own house in order. We don't need to be branching out and building alliances with the Chinese nationalists in Hong Kong or wherever else. We need to make sure that America can become a beacon of freedom and liberty. When we have Biden in the White House, we have uh, you know conservatives can't even have uh, equal time on YouTube with liberals. We we can't really make our points. We can't really make our points the way liberals can. I feel like we need to focus on what's important at home. We need to get our own house in order, and then maybe ten years, twenty years down the road, we can focus on helping other people out. But that's just that's my theory that it was possibly Chinese dissidents that they worked with to develop the app. Yeah, because China absolutely is a problem. We can all agree on that. But this is the problem we've talked about, I think, in the past with Steve Bannon. That Because uh, you watch his podcast, War Room. I yes, big fan, actually. I, I do not watch it. I haven't seen it in a while. But uh, from what I understand, from what you have told me and other friends of mine who watch it tell me, he talks a lot about China. Yes. And I'm like, okay, yeah, China's bad. China's responsible for the virus. I get it. But when you've got critical race theory, which is basically just anti-whiteness, being taught all over the country, in schools, in the military, even in some churches, when you've got big tech censorship, when you have literal voter fraud, when you have every, reparations being handed out, everything going on, there's bigger fish to fry than China. But unfortunately, Steve Bannon, as it has, is well documented, after he was cut off by the Mercers with the whole spat he had with President Trump, He's now funded by a dissident Chinese billionaire who's his primary benefactor. So, of course, you know, the old saying, follow the money. And I love Steve Bannon. He's one of my idols. I think he is unquestionably a political genius, but he is beholden to the money just like a lot of people are. So, uh, until yeah, until next time, again, maybe in another five years, maybe when we take back the White House, maybe, then we can focus on China again. China. Yeah, I've seen something very geopolitically interesting in that, well, it's kind of like with airplanes when they have an oxygen problem it's like you got to secure your own mask and then you can take care of people around you and that's how it is with the current state of american freedom but even right now european countries see i'm sure for many of us we all grew up thinking that america was the conservative bastion and then liberal countries were all these like you know crazy liberal countries but right now a lot of western europe and of course eastern and central europe are looking at america and being like whoa you okay bro something weird is going on like even france like macron's france is genuinely concerned about critical race theory and all that and uh, i mean denmark Socialist Denmark has done some shockingly conservative things lately as far as immigration. And, you know, right now, and I believe like a bunch of different countries' leaders were furious when big tech decided to censor Trump when he was a sitting president. And so right now, it's a very interesting shift that we've gone from other countries who maybe say didn't like our former president to countries that are looking what's going on in America and saying, that's not okay. And so that's why I say that we really can't focus on freedom in other countries when right now even other countries are looking at us and questioning our current state. 
Yeah, it's it's it really is a sad state of affairs when literally the president of Mexico, of all people, refused to congratulate Biden for the longest time. Because, uh, of course, I'm sure that guy knows a thing or two about fraudulent elections. And he took one look and was like, yeah, I, I know this. Uh, this thing stinks. Something's rotten in the state of America. So when other countries are saying those things it really is indicative of how bad things have gotten here and how far left our left really is because europe you know we talked about this in our aoc episode a while ago with jacob about how there's there's green parties and there's actual socialist parties but a lot of the left in europe is not nearly as crazy as the left here in the united states well it's very different and one thing that i've noticed is that um i would say that in europe there sure there is going to be like a far left but there also is like will always be like a genuinely conservative party that reflects you know, what people want. And what I'm really concerned about right now is that all of these institutions in America are overwhelmingly dominated by the left to the point where we have, we're going to have this conservative underclass, which has no uh, pressure valve to release any of the pent-up tension to actually represent them. And so that's really going to be a problem going forward as we see a massive swath of our population that does not feel that its concerns are being addressed. And they can't even like address their concerns openly because they're going to have to worry about either being censored on social media or being fired from their jobs. And that is a powder keg. It is. And it, I was reminded of this in the airport. You know, I remember one of the, my favorite things to do in the airport was to go to the bookstores. And just to look at what was being offered to travelers as they passed through. And as I was going through the Seattle airport, I checked out a couple of bookstores that they had there. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head what they were called. But both bookstores, every single book, every single magazine on their shelves was far, far left. Everything. And it was in your face left. Like stuff like why America is a racist country or uh, these autobi the so-called autobiographies by people who have experienced massive racism from white Americans growing up in America, from immigrants and from black Americans, and just completely just bashing, America bashing nonstop. You didn't see that five years ago, seven years. You didn't see that three years ago in American airports. If you went to an American airport, the most left-wing thing you might get would be a critique of the Iraq war. That would, and it would be mostly mainstream stuff. People, stuff that, like if you went to the history section or the political science section, it would be stuff that you know, your average uh, George Bush supporter would read stuff like that. But now it's everything is hardcore left wing. And it shows how the left has infiltrated not only the government institutions and the nonprofits, but they've completely infiltrated all the corporations. And we don't even you know American conservatives don't even have businesses at their back anymore. Mm hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and yeah, especially one of those institutions being the mainstream media. So one other article that you wrote, Alex, was uh, on the subject of the mainstream media openly defending Facebook. And uh, it's weird sometimes because big tech, especially Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg's got to be the most, along with maybe Bezos, the most detestable person in all of big tech, that even like Elizabeth Warren and crazy far left Democrats cannot stand Zuckerberg. But Slate apparently is one mainstream media outlet that is going to bat for Facebook. So uh, what's going on with that, Alex? What's really frustrating with Zuckerberg is I think at least one point he did defend free speech to a certain degree. And I think he probably has a people around him and really just being in California pushes you further to the left. And so what more or less happened with Facebook, which has gotten like unabashedly far left, you know, since Trump lost the presidency, and you've really seen this shift, is that they more or less declared in a June 17 transparency report that, quote, true satire does not punch down, quote, Content is simply derogatory, not layered, complex, or subversive. It is not satire. Indeed, humor can be an effective mode of communicating hateful ideas. End quote. So 
Yeah, they more or less ex- laid out in clear words that certain kinds of jokes are not okay and do not get protections for being satire if it's about satire about groups that you're not allowed to joke about. And so in response to that, Slate more or less gave due credit to the Babylon Bee and talked about how the Babylon Bee is, you know, very popular and it's actually doing satire quite well as far as like stuff which genuinely makes people laugh. And so, you know, it's got a huge fan base. And so in what I can only describe as a you set him up and I knock him down scenario, Slate more or less pointed to the Babylon Bee and suggested that their um, satire punches down. Well, the fact that Facebook is even using the terminology punching down shows that they have no interest in even trying to pretend like they're neutral in the political divide. Mm-hmm. No conservative would ever use the terminology punching down. That's right. not a, even moderates wouldn't use that term. That is specifically a far left, and I would argue possibly has Marxist roots in that it's, it's this idea that we need to create a completely egalitarian society, and you never punch down. You only punch up to take out those who have money, who have wealth who have accumulated wealth over their lifetime. So that in itself shows you that the people who run Facebook are, ex- are on the far, far left, and they have no, they make no bones about it. They're not even interested in sounding neutral in any way. No, definitely not. And Zuckerberg, too, just to go back to Zuckerberg, I just think it was so funny. I'm old enough to remember when The Social Network first came out. Great movie, by the way. But everyone joked that, like, oh, Jesse Eisenberg in the movie playing Zuckerberg. Wow, this is so insulting to Zuckerberg. Eisenberg makes him look like a huge jerk. He's such a snarky, you know, terrible person and then here we are years later zuckerberg is really like the most vilified one of the most vilified people on the planet and it's like uh, actually if anything the zuckerberg in the movie was a cooler person like he, he was more charismatic than the real zuckerberg <laughs> yeah i do i do remember some criticism of that movie whenever it came out a lot of people were like this this isn't mark zuckerberg like he's just this this quiet nice kind guy created facebook i mean why would why would anybody portray him like this but yeah, I mean, uh, power corrupts, and uh, when you're the ceo of facebook then that's uh, they, i can i can understand how he would get like that Absolutely. And speaking of filthy rich people who are among the most contestable people in the world, Bezos' outfit, Amazon. This is another article that I wrote for American Greatness on July 1st. Amazon demands recusal of FTC chair from any antitrust investigation. So this is just a few days after the Facebook antitrust lawsuits get shot down. Amazon filed a petition with the FTC accusing its chairwoman, Lena Khan, of having, quote, on numerous occasions argued that Amazon is guilty of antitrust violations and should be broken up. These statements convey to any reasonable observer the clear impression that she has already made up her mind about many material facts relevant to Amazon's antitrust culpability, as well as about the ultimate issue of culpability itself. And it points to specifically the fact that while she was a student at Yale Law School, she did write a paper titled Amazon's Antitrust Paradox, among other articles that focused on, wait for it, monopolies, antitrust policies and other similar topics so i'm just like well no kidding dude i mean that's literally her job as chair of the ftc this is like when the left called for jeff sessions head on a silver platter translation his recusal because with the whole the beginning of the russia thing they said oh when he was a senator he spoke to russian diplomats oh clearly he's a russian stooge like he was on the senate foreign relations committee that's literally part of his job it's part of her job here and i say props to her for saying this you know she's clearly she's a biden appointee she normally wouldn't be our friend but again like elizabeth warren she's on the same page about breaking up these big tech monopolies yeah and that's why amazon's scared of her yeah i haven't read her work uh I, I do want to go back and read some of the things that she wrote when she was at yale but from what i've read just looking at her wikipedia page and reading about her uh, across the news she does seem like she 
would be on the same level. What we she would produce what we want regarding big tech because she does view big tech differently from major corporations in the past. And this is one of the complaints about from many people on the right. They they claim you know they've got this Biden's got this far left stooge in he's got this Marxist in who's going to just completely take a hammer to corporations and a lot of people on the right have actually come out I know Breitbart ran an article read actually read an inter, um, an interview on their podcast with someone um, who wrote the son of someone who wrote a book during the Reagan era on the FTC and they were arguing that we should go to bat for Amazon we should go to bat for Facebook because if she ends up taking a hammer to these big corporations it could end up completely undermining business it could undermine the free market. But I, I, tell you, I do take a little bit different view of big tech than big business in the past. This isn't standard oil. When you've got something like Amazon, Amazon is basically a highway. They've created a highway. They've created an online interstate system for companies to take their goods and services. And if they completely shut down the highway, then you've got these small businesses that can't compete. And this is one argument that libertarians make, that the road should be privatized, that we should, inter- you should, we should privatize the interstate system. But if you had that system set up, the private company that owns the roads, they could shut down the roads for certain companies, and these companies would ha- be at a complete disadvantage. So I, I do think we should delve more into what this FTC chairwoman uh, believes regarding big tech. Um, Alex, do you actually do you have have you looked into her? Do you have much of an opinion on what, what she believes? You about know, this? I have, and I will say this: I don't know my employer's position, and as far as my position, I'm still going to remain neutral for now. I do know that conservatives are divided as to how she's going to be, and so we need to wait and see. I believe, and see, look more into what she believes, because we do know how careful one needs to be. With regulating big tech because just like we know that from our position we want big tech regulated so that there will be more free speech we know that for the left they also want to break up big tech but they want to break up tech and then remove free speech so anytime that the left tries to regulate we always have to make sure okay are they regulating in the right direction so i don't have a established position on her or what she believes yet i am just saying one needs to keep an eye on it and the UK actually did something similar. They passed a law that removed the ability from big tech companies to regulate speech, but they gave that purview to the government in London. So now the, they set up a special committee in London to look at, you know, look at big tech companies to make sure that if they're they are removing someone that is uh, meeting their standards. And I actually shared this article with you a while back, Eric. Um, and uh, you know, we're kind of torn on that that approach, whether or not there should be a federal bureaucracy that looks at standards of free speech online and uh, that people can appeal to. Personally, I feel like that situation would be preferable to Twitter and Facebook being able to immediately nix someone. I feel like there should be a government body that an individual can appeal to and say, look, I was they violated their own TOS. I did not violate their TOS and they kicked me off anyway. And then like some sort of federal arbitration. But uh, but this is yeah, this is something that we're kind of in uncharted waters with big tech because the laws on the books for regulating monopolies, they were not updated to for the Internet. And I feel like I do feel like we need to revisit the, the Internet and um, and, uh, you know, antitrust regulation as far as that's concerned. Very much so. I mean, one needs to look at the stuff like the spirit of the First Amendment, not just the law, but the spirit of the law. What it functionally was supposed to do essentially was protect freedom of speech. And so we really do need to make sure that we actually um, 
you know, protect that whole idea. And right now with big tech, what we're seeing is just that they are so powerful to the point where I think that the only organization that can actually wrangle with big tech and make sure that a mainstream platforms allow conservative speech is the government. I think that's the only way that conservatives going forward will be able to use any power in this country, more or less. Yes, I completely agree. And uh, that you know, it's not the 80s anymore where you pre-internet days when the government was our worst enemy. Uh, we do have to, if we do want to be able to play on a level playing field, you're completely right. We do have to use governmental power rather than completely limiting government power when it comes to business when, regarding big tech. Especially now that, of course, Joe Biden is in office and the only hope we have are the governors. And again, Ron DeSantis, more so than anyone else, has been leading the way. He signed that great big bill cracking down on big tech, imposing steep fines for banning political candidates in the state of Florida, as well as allowing regular citizens to ultimately sue big tech if they believe that they have been censored for political reasons. But that also brings back to one other very interesting dilemma, which is and I think Matt Gates brought this up in an interview the other day. Do we make that deal with the devil? Do we work with Lena Khan, Biden appointees? Do we work with Elizabeth Warren? We clearly have different views. Like clearly, as you said, yeah, they, the left wants to break up big tech because they think Zuckerberg is the reason Trump got elected. They want to completely eliminate conservatives, whereas conservatives want to crack down big tech because there's too much censoring going on. So do we, you know, ultimately, like in the case of those, again, the attorneys general of Texas and New York work together against Facebook. Do we bridge that divide and make that deal or do we ultimately reject working with them in any way whatsoever uh, alex what do you think so here's my answer i feel like some big wigs in the conservative movement have actually very much sort of like tried to answer this question so representative jim jordan and former white house chief of staff mark meadows recently warned that conservatives should be skeptical of a democrat-led effort to shape how big tech really does impact the united states i mean of course the enemy of your enemy isn't not always necessarily your friend and so that's something that we do have to consider so they addressed a few sort of you know antitrust sort of efforts by democrats Democrats and, you know, liberals in general. And Jordan Meadows recently called out the Federal Trade Commissioner Chair Lena Khan, quote, prior to working for Jerry Nadler and David Cicilline, Khan was the legal director at the Open Markets Institute, a far left think tank funded by George Soros, end quote. They also mentioned how, well, you see, like so much of American politics, they really observe that the Democrat-led antitrust work is no exception to racial identity politics, which, of course, seems to impact everything, right? And they said, quote, Democrat Federal Trade Commissioner Rebecca Slaughter, a former advisor to Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, has advocated for deploying resources to prioritize investigations that address systemic racism and using antitrust law to address racist practices, end quote. So that's more or less what they're getting at, is this whole idea that, okay, liberals are targeting big tech, conservatives are targeting big tech, but we have to be really, really careful who conservatives ally themselves with, knowing that they could ally themselves with somebody who's completely going to screw them over. Absolutely, yeah, because the enemy of my enemy mentality, I always say, in American foreign policy over the last 
almost 100 years has proven to be a consistent disaster. Mm -hmm. First, the enemy of our mutual enemy, Adolf Hitler, was a guy named Joseph Stalin. So we teamed up with Stalin. Then you have the Cold War. And then, oh, the enemy of our enemy, the Soviet Union, were a group in the Afghanistan called the Mujahideen. And we funded them. And then they created bin Laden. So then who are our mutual enemies of bin Laden that we're creating right now? Future enemies? Who knows? So uh, in politics, too, in domestic politics and you know diplomacy and negotiations, that I always think that should be very cautiously approached. I personally do not subscribe for that reason alone. I don't subscribe to enemy of my enemy on a blanket basis, but right, maybe right. not on, on a blanket basis at all. But um, at the same time, you got to think about the opioid crisis. That is an area where you did have a lot of conservative attorneys general and liberals and liberal attorneys general taking on big pharma um, because they were hurting Americans across the board. And of course, a lot of liberals will argue, well, this is hurting minority populations. Conservatives um, will argue this is hurting American Americans, regardless of their racial identity. But at the end of the day, for, to achieve that minimal goal, it is it was important for them to unite. So in a situation like this, uh, yes, conservatives do need to be very, very careful, um, you know, teaming up with the likes of Elizabeth Warren. But I, at the same time, I think, first of all, conservatives need to clearly identify what they want regarding big tech. There's really no consensus on what conservatives want. And until they get on the same page and decide, okay, this is our this is our policy going forward regarding big tech, regarding free speech on the internet. Until they're on the same page, it's kind of hard to debate whether we should work with this senator or this liberal on this policy, because you have 15 different policies on the right. Absolutely. So I think to close this out here, uh, Alex, again, you're very familiar with big tech. You write about it consistently. Again, really high quality articles. And Newsbusters is a great site. Can I just take a moment to acknowledge how great that name is? I love the name Newsbusters. Oh, thank you for that. For me, it, it really, obviously, I, I can't help but think it's obviously a reference to Ghostbusters, which is a great name, <laughs> by the way. But really, that is such a great name. And what you guys do, too, I love how your articles. Have you seen any episodes of my show? Um, I have not yet got caught up on that. I definitely need to do that. But I will definitely thank you for going ahead and tell us what your show is again, Alex. So my show is Tech Shark, one word, on MRC TV, and it has a sort of like flashy 80s nostalgia vibe because nice. I felt that would be fresh. And I like to make, I mean, it's tech news. I got to make it something that people actually want to look at and find visually interesting. So I'll like splice in clips from like old school 80s movies every now and then. I also interview lots of fun figures like I've interviewed let me see, Charlie Kirk. I have interviewed Dave Rubin, all sorts of fun figures. And so I really wanted to make a show that moves the ball forward. And I really don't want a conservative movement that's constantly reacting. I want a conservative movement that's creative and saying, what's the way forward? How do we take the next step? How do we build towards the world that we want instead of always trying to just merely prevent the one that we don't want? Exactly. So to that, and I would ask you then, uh, with your expertise on big tech, um, what would you say if you were in power, let's just say hypothetically, if you're president, if you're FTC chair, what were some of the big tactics that you would use if you had to take on big tech? Oh, gosh. <laughs> you know, much like Socrates said, um, it takes a genius to know that you're a fool. And I got to call myself a fool on that one. That would take some serious concern. But of course, for me, I would do whatever it takes to protect free speech, to quote Optimus Prime from the Transformers. Freedom is the right of all sentient beings. I'm going to have to leave it at that. All right. Fair enough. If I may ask just one more question then of your opinion, uh, not a hypothetical per se, but just the immediate future of big tech, the way it's going right now with you know the banning of President Trump and these Orwellian warnings on you may be an extremist. Do you this is a question I generally like to ask of our guests. 
do you see yourself as more white-pilled or black-pilled? Do you think that the future ultimately is bright in the war on big tech, or is it about to get a lot worse? Well, I do have a strange answer for you here, and that I feel we're going to definitely be seeing some changes within the conservative movement. And I think as far as America, definitely look to Florida. That, I think, is really sort of the new state where we're seeing a lot of great energy as far as conservatives who are forward-thinking, who have a great sense of style, and are really coming up with new and creative solutions as far as sort of like reinventing the conservative movement and pushing it in the right direction that genuinely will defend our conservative Christian values. And I will also say, in a far stranger answer, I would say look to Europe. I'm really excited about what's happening in Europe right now. And a lot of them, in ways, are looking kind of more conservative as far as certain policies than America is. And I figure um, we should be very interested in what they do with big tech, because in a way, we'll be able to see what works and what doesn't work. And we'll be able to sort of get a good idea of her models of certain policy. And so I'd say, even though I know Americans love to focus specifically on American news, Keep your eyes on Florida and keep your eyes on Europe. All right. And I got to say, too, I, I never thought in a million years I would ever hear anyone say, look to Europe for the answer to any political solution. And yet here we are. So who knows? Maybe that I, as they say, in as goes Europe, so goes America. They say that Europe politically is anywhere from about maybe 10 to 15 years ahead of where we are right now and that those trends are inevitable here in America as well. So you very well may be onto something there, Alex. Jacob, do you have anything else for our guest? No, I believe he's, he's already covered everything that I had. My main concern was the warning that Facebook sent out. I do see Orwellian ties to that. I could see how that could get out of hand if we don't fight back and if the left ever gained complete control in this country. They could turn this into something very similar to Soviet-style uh, groupthink or thought control, and I, I really don't want to see our country go down that path. So with that said, uh, Alex, you want to go ahead and is there anything else you want to plug uh, besides your show? Uh, no, that's it. Check out MRC TV and look for my show, Tech Shark, on MRC TV. Also, please check out my Twitter at Alex Tech Shark. And yeah, have a great day. God bless America. Thank you so much. And thank you guys for listening. This has been our third ever guest episode, episode 28 of The Right Take. Be sure to follow us, of course, at our website, righttakepodcast.com. The full list of websites and platform podcast platforms where we are available, righttakepodcast.com slash subscribe. We are on Gab, Minds, Telegram, BitChute, Rumble. We are on Facebook and YouTube. We are on Podbean. We are on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music slash Audible. We will talk to you next week, guys.